Our reading this evening is on page 1048 of the Church Bibles, and we're reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, and then verses 11 to 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then going on to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the privilege of being able to read the Bible together, to hear um, 
you speak to us. Thank you for these uh, stories that we've been looking at in these Sunday evenings, stories that the Lord Jesus told. And as we look at this uh, particular one tonight, we ask that you would help us to learn from it and that it may honour you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I guess I was trying to think of stories, <clears throat> um, films and books that have an underlying message. I mean, I guess there are lots of films and books that there's a basic story that you go and uh, read and see, but actually, you know, there's a hidden message behind it. And then as I was trying to think, I thought, oh, I can't think of a single one, but of course there are loads. And so I asked my wife, and she said, well, what about Animal Farm, you know, George Orwell? Or, and of course there are hundreds. But you think of lots of, lots of stories where you can just see that's a nice story, but actually the writer is trying to tell you something else as well. And of course that's what Jesus was doing with his parables. He was telling people, as he told the stories, all sorts of things about God, about his kingdom, about his mission. Um, those stories, they had a meaning, as we've been looking at, as we've looked at various parables already during our Sunday evenings. Um, they told a message. But of course, it's quite possible that the hearers just heard them as a nice story. You know, often that was the case. They just thought it was a nice story. Um, and they might never appreciate the meaning behind them. If you were here when, um, I think it was Clive was talking about the parable of the sower, you may remember that in Luke chapter 8, Jesus actually quite specifically tells his disciples, well, not everyone is going to understand it. The, the message is hidden from some people. The message, would remain, the meaning would remain hidden. They'll just think he was telling a nice story, in that case, about some bloke sewing. Well, this series of uh, talks on looking at some of these parables in Luke's Gospel has been entitled Stories, Stories with a Sting. And the story that we're going to look at tonight certainly has got a sting in the tail, as we'll see. So it's traditionally called uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And it actually comes in this chapter. We're going to just quickly look through the whole chapter because it comes in this chapter as the third in, um, in a series of three parables, three little stories that Jesus told. And they're all about being lost and found. So first of all, I'm sure most of us know this all very well, the first parable is there in verses 3 to 7 and it's about um, a lost sheep. There was one sheep out of a hundred that's lost, and the shepherd uh, leaves the 99, and he goes off and searches for the lost sheep until he finds it, and then he comes back and celebrates with his friends and neighbors. And then the second, even shorter little story is about a lost coin. There's a woman who's got 10 coins, and she loses one of them, and then searches high and low, you know, sweeping, looking everywhere until she finds it. And then when she finds it, what does she do? She goes and celebrates with her neighbors and her friends. And then we come to this parable that we're going to be looking at this evening, this parable of the prodigal son. So this is a guy who, who leaves home, who recklessly wastes his inheritance, but then eventually comes back to his father, who, as we see, joyously welcomes him home and throws a great party. So all those three stories are about being lost and found. And they're all about a celebration that follows when the thing or the person who was lost is found. But they're not quite the same as the first two, the sheep story and the coin story. They both end with Jesus giving a brief explanation of the parable. So just have a look, have a look back at verse 7 on page 1049 in Luke 15. Jesus said, I tell you, 
that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then again, after the second story, he gives a little explanation in verse 10, almost identical. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus is saying to his hearers, isn't he, every individual, every individual matters. And he's saying there's celebration. The celebration in heaven when even just one person, one sinner repents, when one person who was lost is found. And you may say, well, that's, that's what the prodigal son story is all about as well, isn't it? It says the same. It says there was celebration for the lost son who returns home. And yeah, that's true. Um, but Jesus doesn't actually give that. He doesn't give an explanation, or at least it's not recorded, that he gave an explanation to that parable uh, as he did for those first two stories. The whole story is actually left much more as a cliffhanger, as, as we're going to see. We're left wondering, at the end of the story, we're left wondering, how did it all finish? And there's, not quite, there's no explanation. We're not quite sure how it finishes. It helps just to look back at, so the first couple of verses that Fiona read for us, it just helps us to look back at those and to set the scene. Um, those verses set the scene. Back in, even further back in chapter 14, Jesus has talked about the cost of being a disciple. He said that uh, you need, he's told people, you need to think about what it means to follow him. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to think carefully about it. And then Luke tells us here in the start of chapter 15 that tax collectors and sinners, in inverted commas, um, were all gathering around to hear him. And these were the, these were the sort of people that the uh, religious the establishment figures, so like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that the second verse talks about, they're the sort of people that they'd have absolutely nothing to do with. They were people who didn't keep all the Jewish laws. They were hopeless, hopeless, useless cases as far as those uh, good, upright, synagogue-going people were concerned. And the fact that Jesus mixed with them with these sort of disreputable people, that was really quite in their eyes, quite disgusting, really. So it's in this setting that Jesus tells these stories. And probably both sides are listening. You know, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who the religious leaders think are disreputable, disgusting lot, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the religious people. They're both listening. Though, as we read through, it becomes clear that perhaps the Pharisees and the scribes are particularly being targeted by Jesus in these three stories. You could imagine them, couldn't you, when, when he was um, telling them the first story about the lost sheep, you could imagine them sort of saying, mm, yeah, we're all right, we're, we're like that, we're like the 99 sheep, you know, we're safely in the pen, in the sheepfold, we're not lost. Not quite sure about this story that Jesus is telling about this one sheep that he goes after, but yeah, no, no, we're all right, we're, we're the 99, we're okay. But actually, if they were listening quite carefully, then they'd have been much less sure after they'd heard this third story, this third parable about the lost son, because it really is a story with a sting. So we're going to look a little bit more closely at the story, and there are, of course, three main characters in the story. There's the father, there's the younger son, and there's the elder son. So we'll look at them in turn. 
or at least the sons first of all, and then the father a little bit later. So the younger son, the prodigal son, <clears throat> as a younger son, he would be um, in line eventually to inherit one third of his father's estate. Um, but, you know, he can't wait. He's had enough of working at home in the family business, living a boring, conventional life. He's had enough. He wants to see the world. He wants to experience life. He wants to have a good time. And so he demands his share of his inheritance now, even though his father is far from dead. It's, it's quite insulting, really, isn't it? He's saying to his father, I wish, I wish you were dead. I want my lot now, Dad. I can't wait any longer. But what does the father do? The father um, does as requested. He sells off part of the estate, and he gives the son his share. And then off the son goes on this great, exciting world trip of his, or whatever it is, this great journey, doing just what he wants to do. But of course, sadly, as he goes around squandering his property in reckless living. And then two disasters hit him. Two things hit him. Well, the first disaster is his own fault. His money runs out, and that's his own fault because he's gone and spent it all in, in this reckless living. The other disaster isn't of his making, but it happens to hit at the same time, and that's that there was a famine at the same time, and that just adds to his misery. And just to show how desperate he's become, then Jesus tells that he even took a job feeding pigs, and of course that was completely inappropriate for any Jewish person to do. And eventually it's so bad that he begins to realise that he'd be better off going home and working as one of the labourers on his father's estate. And he rehearses a great long speech, you know, practices this long speech that he's going to give when he gets home. And then we find that in the meantime, his father, all this time, has been there back at home looking, looking for him, waiting, watching, just looking out, waiting for him to come. And when he sees him in the distance, his father does something that was completely uncharacteristic for a man in his position. He doesn't do what he should have done or what would be characteristic for him to do, walk in a dignified manner. He runs. That's not appropriate for someone in his position. He runs. He runs to his son. He greets him and he embraces him and kisses him. And then the son starts his prepared speech. He starts off his speech, but he doesn't actually get very far into his speech because his father cuts him off and says, no, no, he orders the servants to reinstate the son as a full family member. And he tells them, you know, get the best robe, put a ring on him, put shoes on him. You know, he's come back completely in tatters, without, without shoes, without hardly any clothes, with tattered clothes. He's not made into a servant. He's made back into a son, reinstated into the family. And then what does the father do? He orders this extravagant party to celebrate the lost son's return. He kills the fattened calf. And that would only have happened very rarely for a very special occasion. It was a party with no expense spared. Well, like those who uh, heard Jesus tell these stories, this one and the first two, we can see that he's uh, told a story about someone who was lost being found, or about something being lost found, the sheep, a coin, and now a son brought back into the family. 
And like in the first two parables, this leads to a great celebration. But Jesus doesn't spell it out this time, doesn't give that explanation. But it's obvious, isn't it, again, that it's a story showing how, in inverted commas, sinners, the people that the religious leaders despised, could be brought back into the family. But why doesn't Jesus give an explanation at this point like he did after the first two parables? Why doesn't he give the explanation that he gave in verse 7 and again in verse 10? Well, it's not the end of the story, is it? And the story isn't just about a lost younger son. It's also about the older son, who in a different way is also lost. I was going to show you some pictures, but unfortunately we can't get the technology to work. So you're going to see, you were going to, but you weren't, I'm afraid. You're going to see some Rembrandt pictures of the prodigal son. Um, but I'll just say something about it in a minute. He's, the older son has been out in the fields, and he hasn't seen his brother, the younger son, return. And... You know, when he gets back, he's surprised to find this party in full swing. And he inquires what's happening. When he hears, finds from one of the servants that uh, what has happened, he's angry. He refuses to go in and to join in the celebrations. And again, the father behaves in a way that is completely out of keeping with his status. He was the host of this magnificent banquet celebration that was going on. But he leaves all his important guests, he leaves everyone, and he goes outside. He leaves the the party that he should be there at. He goes outside to find his older son and to plead with him, to try to persuade him to come and join them all in the party. But the older son, he actually speaks to him. If you look uh, there in verse... uh, It's in verse 29. The older son speaks to him in a very disrespectful way. It says here, look. It's like saying, look here, look here. I've slaved away for you, always doing what you wanted, but you've never thrown a party for my friends. But this useless waste of space son of yours comes back and you kill the fattened calf for him. So he's not respectful to his father, talks to him in that sort of way. But the father pleads with him and he again repeats that it was Verse 32, fitting to celebrate. He says, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there the parable ends on this cliffhanger. What happened to the older son? And this is perhaps where I was going to show you the, uh, one of Rembrandt's pictures. And of course, you can't paint a picture of, of the prodigal son because it's all lots of different scenes happening, you know, you can't mix the scenes, so Rembrandt, of course, mixes the scenes together, which isn't quite right, but it's still quite powerful, because you have has a picture of this old man leaning over and embracing the prodigal son who's come home, and then there's some other characters at the side, and there's a guy standing here very uprightly looking down, who obviously is the, is the older son, and, you know, he's miles away, you know, miles away from his father, even though he's only a couple of feet away, whereas this prodigal son who's who's, you know, in, in, in tatters and so on, is, is being embraced by the father. So what happened to that son? What happened to him? At this point in the story, and at that point in Rembrandt's picture, he's estranged from his father, and he's estranged from his brother, and he's estranged from the whole family. And although the circumstances are different, he's just as lost 
to the family as the younger son was. We don't, we don't know what happened. We're just left with this uncertainty. Was the elder son eventually found or did he remain lost? Of course, lots of you, some of us at least, will remember that we had a series of house group studies on this parable a while ago and we had a whole, whole session, didn't we? And it was very helpful for us then and it will be helpful for us again now to think about these two sons and to think away about the way in which they were both lost but in quite different circumstances. Both of them needed to be found, both of them needed to be rescued. Um, they needed to be rescued for being lost. And for each of them, the father was there. He was there reaching out to them, calling them back into the family, both of them. The father was there reaching out to them. I suppose because these three stories are all about um, something being lost and found, we need to be careful that we don't focus too much on the lost son or the lost sons, so that we focus so much on the lost sons that we don't properly see the amazing action of the father, because what the father does is really incredible. And of course, as Jesus tells the story, then we realize that we're like the sons and the Father is God who's in the business of finding people who are lost. So as we think of this, what this parable means for us, maybe, maybe we'll just do something slightly different. Just for two minutes, you can just talk to each other about, so far, what does this parable mean for us? How do we identify with these two sons? Do we identify with either of them? What, what can we see so far in the parable? And then we're going to come back and just look at God and think about three things relating to God that this parable tells us. So just a couple of minutes just to talk about where we've got to so far, and then, uh, and then I'll carry on. Just think about three things that uh, relating to God that uh, we could think about we can perhaps see in, these, in this parable. So think about God's initiative, God's invitation, and God's celebration or rejoicing. So thinking first of all about God's initiative. Sometimes you hear people saying, or you might hear someone saying about someone else, um, he or she has found God. Well, that's not really what happens, is it? Because it's always God's initiative. It's always God is the one who finds us, not us who find God. And the first two parables make that quite clear, don't they? Um, the sheep and the coin have absolutely no part in being found. You know, they're found, it's all down to the shepherd, it's all down to the woman. Well, what about the prodigal son, you might say? You might say, um, or we, we might say, doesn't, doesn't he choose to go home? Yeah? He has a plan that will make his life a little bit um, more bearable for himself. He has this plan to go and become a laborer in his uh, father's estate, but he doesn't ever imagine that he's going to be brought back into the family. But what does the father do? The father do. He runs, he's waiting, he's watching, he's searching the horizon, and then he's running to greet the returning prodigal. It's all the father's initiative, it's God's initiative. It's possible to be lost um, in the way that the tax collectors and the sinners of verse 1 were. 
being a person who's metaphorically stuck two fingers up to God and said, I'll do it my own way. I don't, don't need you. I'll do as I please. I'll live the way I want to. But God is still, God is still taking the initiative. He's still searching out and he's calling back people who've gone off doing their own thing. The tax collectors and the uh, sinners might have seemed, certainly to the religious leaders, they seemed like people who had absolutely no chance of finding God at all. And of course on their own they didn't. But God, like the father in the story, has taken the initiative. But did you see how, but do you see how um, the father also is the one who tries to call the older son back in? Because that son too was, in a different way, was lost. You might never have thought it. After all, he was the son who had worked away at home doing what his father asked. And just as it's possible to be like the younger son, living a life doing plenty of reckless, rebellious things, it's also possible to be like, like the older son, to have an appearance of doing the right thing. But when the crunch comes, you can see that it's all the drudgery. It's not done for the joy of being in the family. Because what happens when things don't go his own way, this older son? And he's angry. And he's bitter. And that's exactly what the uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, were like. These religious, respectable types who despise these dreadful, sinful types. And it's, it's a warning to us too. Are we guilty of comparing? It's, it's so easy, isn't it, in our world. Our world is full of comparisons. We have grades and statistics and scores. You know, everything, all through life, everything is compared. We compare everything. And how easy it is to compare ourselves with other people, to think I'm better than other people. And then, potentially, even to be rather surprised or even annoyed when some of the people who we think are way down below us suddenly come to faith in Jesus. They're not the sort of people who've had a lifetime of going to church like us. They're not the sort of people who fit our expectation, not the right sort of respectable people. It's all too easy to think that God owes us a favor because we're good, respectable people. And the older son, so he compared himself to the younger son, didn't he? He compared himself and he said, I'm much better than him. But of course he was wrong. He too was just as lost, just as much as the younger son. He needed to be found as well. Both of them actually were alienated from their father, weren't they? Both of them actually wanted to get the father's things, the father's property. They wanted stuff he had. They didn't want the father. The younger son, how did he try to get it? He tried to get it by being bad. The older son tried to get the stuff by being good. But they wanted stuff, not the father. Well, we may have been more like the younger son, or we may have been more like the older son. Either way, it's God the Father who takes the initiative. It's God the Father who comes to find us. And then we see that God the Father offers an invitation. We see it twice. He says to the, to the younger son, he says, come back into the family, put on this cloak, take, put on this robe, put on this ring and these shoes, come back into the family. And then later he says to the older son, come inside, come and join the celebration. And it's the same today as God takes the initiative and reveals himself to us. 
we may be like the younger son. We may be coming with our, our prepared speech, so to speak. Um, but there's nothing that we can do. The invitation is given to us, and we have to decide whether we're going to accept or not. The younger son, he did accept. So he did put on the best robe. He did put on the ring and the shoes, and he went to the party. But as the story ends, the oldest son is still outside, and we're not sure if he did accept the father's invitation to come in and celebrate. So the initiative comes from God, and it's God who invites us into his family. How do we respond? Jesus' explanation of the sheep and the coin parables tells us that it's about sinners repenting. It's about acknowledging our rebellion against God and actively turning around and choosing to go God's way. The younger, the younger son, he did that. He realized that he'd been wrong and he came back to his father and he was changed. But as the story ends, the older son, he's still stubbornly refusing to change. Well, God also celebrates or rejoices because whether the older son eventually did come in or not, and we don't know, the father still celebrates because the younger son has been found he says, rejoice with me, celebrate with me, the father says. And God rejoices. Jesus has told us in the explanation of the first two parables that there is celebration in heaven. And the celebration in heaven, not because of all the problems of the world have been solved, certainly not yet anyway, but because, and you know, it's there in, that, in, the, in the lost sheep parable, it's there because one of his children who was lost has now been found. Statistically, that's not really very significant, is it? One child, one person becoming a Christian, one person coming to faith in Jesus. But that, says the Lord Jesus, is a cause for great celebration. And I suppose it's worth asking ourselves, you know, I ask myself, you ask yourself, do we share God's joy? Um, is that the sort of thing that makes us really happy? Or are our priorities different? And it's worth always asking ourselves, what do we hope for ourselves? What's our hope for ourselves? Or for, you know, what's your hope for yourself or for your children or for your friends? It's so easy, isn't it, to, our priorities to be to do well at school or sport, to pass exams well, to do a good job, to have a well-paid job, to marry well. Or is the most important thing in life to become a Christian and to live a life following Jesus? Is that the thing that's most worth having a party about, most worth celebrating. So there are three things that uh, we've learned from this story. God has taken the initiative. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's this amazing love, this, this amazing love of this amazing God who, like the father in the story, takes the initiative, brings us back into his family. And then God gives an invitation. Another verse from Matthew 11, verse 28. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's, it's an invitation that God gives to everyone. It's an invitation to come into his family and to live for him. It's an invitation with an RSVP, and it's an invitation that we can either accept or refuse. And then God rejoices when the lost are found. So just to repeat verse 32 from our passage, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's, let's do the same. Let's be glad and celebrate when the lost are found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, simple stories that uh, the Lord Jesus told. And we thank you for this amazing uh, truth that we can see, that you're the God who takes the initiative to come looking for us, to come uh, searching for us, to find us. And that you invite us to come back into your family. Help us all to accept that invitation. And as we uh, see other people doing that, help us too to join with you in that wonderful celebration as people come to know you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.